Please join me in our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. Stories of faith that connect us. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut or Colorado, the United States or Europe or anywhere in the world.
Choir's taking the tattoos. Thank you. So today we're going to continue our series on the Ten Commandments. And if you remember, the literal word for commandment is words, ten words, or the ten things. I happen to like the ten things, but um, we're on number two today. And the Ten Commandments, these ten things, are a part of sacred scripture that is shared by, bless you, shared by Jews, Christians, and Muslims. And remember that these ten things, or these ten words, were spoken to Moses in the wilderness. They are not the possession of any one country or nation. They were universal in nature because the wilderness was owned or claimed by no one. And that's where God spoke. And these words were not given to create community, They were given for the health and well-being of community. They were believed to be very brief in nature when they were given, but during a period of oral transmission, as storytelling can go, several of the commandments were expanded. And they were expanded with the addition of motivating factors, like do this and then you'll get, or theological reflections or promises, and even explanatory details. And at some stage, they may have also been shortened. This second commandment, the second thing, is a really good example of one that has been expanded. So let's listen to this. Where's Jim? Jim, is he behind me? Hi. Okay, yeah. (laughs) I knew he'd be close. Let's listen to the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is the earth beneath, or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Now this next part makes me wonder if it was a later insertion. So listen for yourselves. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the inequity of parents, to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Here ends the word. That definitely sounds like an insertion to me. In fact, part of uh, what Jim read before was also because it's believed that the essence of this commandment was you shall not make images for yourself, period. So think about all that's been added to that in a way of explanation and in a way of trying to justify or explain. An idol itself is a physical representation that's used as an object of worship. And I think that there's a lot that's laid on top of this and even the fact that it exists because this community was really trying to characterize itself as distinct from other practices in the ancient Near East at the time. It was very common to make images and to use them as forms of worship. And so this is an action that distinguishes this community from other communities. And the image, it's believed that the image suggests that God is limited, 
So if we make something that says God is this, it can easily lead to God is this but not this. And God's self-disclosure, while it's worth captioning, is not worth concretizing. So if I say that a little bit differently, it's like if God reveals God's self to you or me or to a people, this is worth capturing and talking about and writing about and expressing somehow, but not limiting, because an experience that I might have might be different than an experience you may have and that someone else over here might have, and so on and so on. And so what we do is we put them all together and create a prism of images, but it's still incomplete, still not everything. Yeah, we don't want any one experience of God to be absolute and exclusive. And the second commandment is prohibition against images as a focus of worship. It's not a mandate to eliminate the possibility of art, though. Don't confuse the two. Art that shows up in ancient cathedrals and in contemporary homes that shows us a glimpse of the holy uh, is not idol worship. An example of this comes from the Buddhist tradition. If you're familiar with Buddhist practices or you've ever been to a Buddhist temple, there is always uh, an image of the Buddha. Always. And there was a monk who was said to have been meditating for a long period of time in a cabin in the woods. And it got to the point where it was so cold that the only thing left to burn was that statue of the Buddha itself. And so the monk monk placed the Buddha statue in the fire, turned his back to the fire to be warmed, and continued his prayer. Leonard Felder, who wrote the book called The Ten Challenges about the Ten Commandments, which could also be named The Ten Hardest Things You'll Ever Have to Do, said that commandment number two is about breaking free of unfulfilling paths and habits by becoming more spiritually awake and alive. He invites us to take a look at the ways that we get sidetracked or distracted from our spiritual essence. In the bulletin, there's plenty of space for you today to take notes about the things, the people, the places, the thoughts, and the actions that distract you. Perhaps it'll come to you in a picture or perhaps with words. For you to consider the people, the places, the thoughts, and the actions that contribute to your forgetting or denying who you really are and who others are. And maybe it's because of the songs that were sung to you or the messages or expectations that surround and bombard us. In the bulletin and perhaps during the week, try to capture the people, places, thoughts, and actions that leave you feeling empty. These are what prevent you from living life more fully. Consider the harm that has been done at the hand of normalizing and the valuing of one life over another, one group over another, one language over another one skin pigmentation over another, one gender over another, or gender at all, one religion over another, one nation over another. 
Can you see the idolatry in this? This worth-ship, or what we call worship, of one over another? The challenge of the second commandment is to break free of this dishonest and unfulfilling path of worth-ship. To break free of habits and teachings that are not expansive and affirming of all life. And the invitation is to stay connected to our expansive spiritual essence, the one that connects us one to another. Judaism, Islam, and Christianity all teach that there are two contrasting ways of living. Awake and alive, aware and connected to the divine spark within, or distracted, numb, spiritually asleep, going through the motions. Now, the truth is we vacillate between the two, don't we? In the book of Deuteronomy, this this choice between the two contrasting ways is spoken as this, I have set before you life and death. Choose life. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. But for some reason, in the recognition that we vacillate between the two and that we are wholly imperfect, we become impatient with ourselves and with others. I like to think of it as a patient trust that with our effort and our practice, we can learn this. We can learn to choose life. We can learn the difference As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Which one? The Lord of life or the Lord of death? Tehar Deshardan calls this practicing and understanding of our imperfection, patient trust. And here's what he says. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on, as though you could be today what time, that is to say grace and circumstances acting on your own goodwill, will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit, gradually forming within you, will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you, and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. This speaks to me because, um, I don't know, probably up until yesterday, I always felt like I was in kindergarten. And I wondered when I was going to get to first grade. And tomorrow I'll wonder it again. But we must trust in the patient, slow, and thorough work of God And we also must practice. And this practice piece 
reminded me of Julia Cameron. You probably know her from The Artist's Way. The original title of that book was Healing the Artist Within, and it was rejected. And so she self-published. And this book is about recovering artistic creativity and spiritual connection. Now, we're not all artists. I get that. But that spirit of creativity and that piece of us that activates the other side of our brain is something to consider and something to practice. It could be through singing. It could be through cooking. It could be through athletic pursuits and playing. She says that God is an artist and so are we and we can cooperate with each other. In other words, God is a part of the artistic process. And she has something called artist dates. She says, make a date with your inner artist once a week. And I want to just change that to make spirit dates. And church doesn't count. Make a spirit date where it will be just you and spirit. And the date is once a week. It's by yourself. And it's something that interests you. These are her sort of guidelines. She says, think mischief more than mastery. I love that. Artist dates fire up the imagination. They spark whimsy. They encourage play. It is good to ask yourself, what sounds fun? And then allow yourself to try it. Now, if you're thinking that would be fun with another person, do that too, but don't neglect the solo piece. Avoiding solo time can be a distraction, and for others in the room, solo time comes way too easy, so add the one with somebody else. Because we are not on a solitary journey, just some of us need to be solitary to get in touch with that spark. The first and second commandment are very much connected. And if you weren't here last week, and even if you were, let me remind you of Felder's um, translation of that first commandment, that first thing. I am the one who is and will always be your God who can bring you out of a narrow way of seeing things, out of your enslavements and worries. We're going to return to this first one because I think it's foundational. And it will help us to see the second. Friends, we have been given words of life. And we are asked simply to share those with others as they need. So this week, keep your date with spirit. But let flow from that an invitation to others that they might also know more deeply. And when you go, wherever you go, may the love of God enfold you. May the peace of Christ fill you. And may the community of the Holy Spirit encourage you this very moment and in all the moments to come. And let us say together, Amen. Amen.